0: Welcome back to the WFO Life Podcast. This is Dr. William Curtis, and we have Carolina Jablowska on the show today. I really butchered that name, but she's a special person. She's an author. She's a podcaster, and she's a certified alcohol-free life coach. She's got a new book coming out soon called Euphoric, Ditch Alcohol and Gain a Happier, More Confident You. I believe it's going to be released January 4th. This was a great episode because it kind of explored the role that alcohol plays in many, many people's lives and how sometimes we get into habits that uh, sometimes can take us away from bigger and better things. And Carolina is a really excellent ambassador for this idea. And she spent a lot of time coming up with um, resources and content for people interested in exploring what life would be like if we just sort of ditched alcohol and, and invested our energy in more creative or productive things. So buckle up and enjoy this episode of the WFO Life Podcast. Welcome to the WFO Life Podcast. Buckle up for interviews, insights, and practical discussions, and the occasional intellectual oddity, all designed to help you master self, master craft, and accomplish any life mission. Okay, welcome back to the WFO Live podcast. Got a good one today. We have a you know, we've got a certified alcohol-free life coach. It's also a podcaster and and I guess you've got a a book coming up. So we're going to hit on all of those things with Carolina. How are you today?
1: I'm doing great today. Thank you so much for having me on your show.
0: Absolutely. Before we came on, we were talking about sort of you know, kind of same lane kind of missions and our in our podcast we talk about Mastering self, mastering craft, and accomplishing any life mission. And one of the things that really struck me when I saw your your content was, you know, you're really in that mastering self category. And of course, that bleeds over into everything else. And your background and, you know, kind of the way you've approached working with clients and, and, and people that you're coaching... And and a network of people that you work with, it's it's uh, it seems unique. It's a really positive message, and so I thought you'd be a perfect guest to come on the show. So so again, welcome, and you know, Chris and I are really excited to talk to you today. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you ended up? You didn't just wake up, a, you know, a life coach and, and a podcaster and all these kinds of things. You didn't just wake up that way. So so where did it start, and where, where how, what got you going down this road?
1: Yeah, thank you so much. You know, I'm I'm so grateful for you two to have this conversation. Cause I feel like when we talk about alcohol in our society, it immediately we think of the worst problem drinker. We think of AA, we think of alcoholism, we think of the, you know, person on the street that just lost everything. And we're not really having as many conversations for the general public, for everyone in the middle, you know? And that's kind of where I found myself. So, you know, around five years ago, I was um Working a a normal nine to five job, I thought of myself as a very healthy and mindful person. I would eat healthy during the week. I would work out. I would meditate. I would do just all these things, taking off all the boxes. But every weekend, alcohol kind of came in the mix, and I was—I considered myself a social drinker, weekend drinker. You know, it wasn't like anything out of intervention. And yet I couldn't shake the feeling that every Monday morning I woke up feeling horrible. I woke up feeling like crap. I felt like everything that I did healthy during the week was completely washed out by the weekend. And I was living in this pattern for so many years. And you know, when I was when I was younger, when I was in college, I had way less boundaries around drinking. I was just partying all the time. It was just a free-for-all. But as I got older, I was just like, okay, I gotta drink less. I gotta drink less. You know, I'd read a lot of books by doctors about, you know, how much a woman should be drinking every week. And I was really trying so hard to kind of fit myself into that box, and I would let myself down a, you know, often. You know, I'd go to a party thinking I'm just gonna have one drink, you know, here, and, and, and it turned out into many more than that. And so every Monday, I not only woke up physically not feeling well, but it was also this like shame I was carrying. Like, why can't I do alcohol right? Like, why is everyone else doing alcohol just fine? What's it with me that just isn't figuring this out? And at the same time, I felt really turned off by these, you know, stories of people hitting rock bottom, right? And like, you know, getting DUIs and, and drinking every day and drinking out of depression. Like that also wasn't my story. So I found myself in this middle ground with kind of like no, I felt like I had nowhere to go, nowhere to talk to about this, nowhere, you know, that no one was really talking about it. And then I finally actually read a story about a woman who does dry January and she considered herself a moderate drinker. And she did dry January and she loved it so much she just decided not to go back. And there was something in that story that just finally was like, oh, like I get permission to do this. You know, like I don't have to make some kind of label or have this kind of like deep problem to be able to do this because I think I was so scared deep down for uh, judgment, other people judging me. So basically I decided to do dry January a few years ago and I have the same experience. I love it. (laughs) You know, like I'm sleeping so much better. I just find myself getting more comfortable in my skin, doing more more wholesome activities, having more free time. I just, I really enjoy it. I especially really like journaling and reading at night. You know, it's almost impossible for me to do that kind of stuff (laughs) buzz. And so I just, I really appreciate the experience, but in February it comes along and I'm just kind of like, you know, I can't just quit drinking forever. I mean, drinking is a fabric of our of our social lives. It's what normal adults do. And so I go back to it. But the contrast that I experienced between the, my month off and the, the month I went back to it was so ridiculously profound. You know, like even one drink, I had the worst sleep after that. I found myself getting cranky, frustrated, uh, unappreciative, like my moods would just drop immediately. And I wasn't having fun either, you know? So I was like, whoa. Everything I thought about alcohol is now being like put into my consciousness in this completely different lens. And I was like, it's not really what I thought it was at all, you know? And I decided to take another break at that point. And at that point, I really dive into the mindset behind it. You know, like what what drove us all to start drinking when we're younger? What is it about this conditioning, the social fabric? What is it about habits that keep us there? And I decided to completely change my mindset around drinking that time and i did and not only did i feel amazing during my during my break have these incredible health improvements mindset improvements but i honestly lost my desires for alcohol like completely just lost my desires for alcohol and from there something really cool happened like all of the space that i had freed up in my brain around alcohol started to make space for something deeper within me i started getting this confidence and this passions for doing something different with my life you know i I always wanted. I always envied entrepreneurs and authors. And here I was working this nine to five. You know, I couldn't wait for the weekend. That was like the highlight of my week. And now I all of a sudden had this confidence and this burning desire. Like, well, if I don't like this part of my life, why don't I change it? You know. And so that first year, I launched my business. I uh, launched a podcast. I wrote my first draft of my book. F- you know, a few months later or a few years later, I left my you know nine to five and just kind of just. Really replacing that buzz that I got you know in this immediate gratification with this long term fulfillment where I'm really looking for the answers of what gives me deeper meaning, fulfillment, and contentment. And so that's my story in a nutshell. and you know my my purpose now today is to really reach other people who are in that middle ground. you know um, some statistics I had to research for my book show that upwards of sixty percent of drinkers over drink, like way above the health guidelines, right? And so it's, it's really not like this minority issue or this extreme thing. Like, yes, maybe drinking alcoholically every day in the morning, like, like Nicolas Cage from leaving Las Vegas, you think of that extreme example, that is probably this very small minority. But the people who are just over drinking or above the health guidelines, I mean, you should know that, that how low the health guidelines are to begin with. Most people don't fit in that boat, you know, they're, they're in that kind of like, it does make me tired, it does make me lethargic, it does like, kind of mess up my health goals or some other things. And so now it's my mission to really just reach those people and share this story that doesn't necessarily come out of a motivation to want to change because of all the pain you're receiving, but more so of like, well, what if you don't even know how good it is on the other side? Why don't we just experiment and see what it's like?
0: I love the way you've approached it from the social aspect. My day is filled with working with people, you know, I'm, I'm in primary care. So alcohol and alcohol problems come up, you know, I I do have to deal with it. And I would agree with you the, oh, let's call it the, the really serious alcoholics, you know, the ones that are seriously, uh, suffering and, and destroying their lives with alcohol. They're definitely a minority, but I, I don't know, I guess maybe I would call it problematic. Casual drinking is kind of what what a lot of people suffer from. And, you know, when it's really nice that you you discover this early uh, in your life, because I see people that, you know, 50, 60 years old that are, you know, it's, I approach it from a medical standpoint. I look at them and say, look, they're, they're, they're putting away a case of beer every weekend uh, while they're out, you know, just mowing their yard on a Saturday. And the reality is what happens uh, in these scenarios is they're damaging their health. They drive their insulin levels up. They're gaining weight. They don't understand why they can't lose weight. So I always approach it from that standpoint. I like the way you're looking at it from that more social standpoint because people think it's normal. Oh, yeah, of course. We're at the thing. We have to drink or we have to do whatever. And, I, you know, again, I'm not a prude about it, but the things you're talking about with your health, and I can tell you that the, like, if I have a drink that's how I feel. Like, I don't have to go and like, even think about like, oh, let me, let me drink a, you know, a six pack or something. I don't, I can drink a little bit and I don't feel good. And, and it's weird things. It's like motivation, right? Like, like you're just creative thinking and everything's just duller. So it's kind of interesting that you went down that road.
2: One of the things I know that you've talked about, Dr. Curtis, is like, you know, uh, the whole idea of you have patients come to you that you look at the drugs they're taking and I can't remember what the stat is, but it's like if you're taking more than two or three medications, you know, the uh, chances that they're having a negative interaction with each other are high. Right. So I think about the same thing with people's, um, you know, natural uh, genetic makeup and, you know, the, what they're predisposed to. And so people get, you know, like she was talking about, you, know, you go to college or, you know, the people I deal with are, you know, young uh, people that you know raise their right hand and decide to serve their country and go to these stressful situations, and they you know we're told uh, you know or the culture is you know go have some beers and you know forget about it. You know I go back to you know your drug interaction thing because um, just like drugs, different people have different reactions to alcohol, right? I mean there there's there's a lot of people that can um, you know have two or three beers. One or two nights a week for their whole life and never have, you know, maybe any negative health side effects, you know, either because of, you know, nature or nurture, right? Either they have the discipline or their genetic makeup is like they don't have super negative reactions to alcohol, but that's not everybody's reaction, right? And so if everybody's drinking, in college or if everybody's drinking, you know, in a military situation, you know, it, it becomes, and I, and I think I, I listened to, you know, another interview that you did and, you know, you were talking about, you know, just your your own experience with alcohol. It just made me think about that where people think that the input and the process and the output is always the same, but that, you know, in actuality people don't know. And, you know, it's like if you go out and drink with people and, they're drinking all night, you feel like you need to keep up. And so I think that it's important, you know, like you were saying, uh, there's another way to do it. There's another way to deal, you know, with issues uh, besides alcohol. You know, I, I think it's like education and it's probably not acceptable to do a class on how to drink responsibly. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like to teach people how to drink. But I almost feel like I'm not sure if that's part of what you're doing, but I always joke with other Marine leaders like me. It's like, you know, I feel like Marines always want to drink until they pass out because they think if you're drinking that that's the way to do it. But, but I, I feel like, like you said, there's a middle ground where, you know, you know some people need to stop forever, uh, but also people need to realize like, hey, you don't have to drink to get into a certain state. Um, so anyway, that's just a little soapbox of. You know, some things I was thinking about uh, while you, you two were talking.
1: And, you know, to your point on that, like something that is so interesting about the kind of socialization with it is that in so many circumstances, you know, it's something that's socialized on us when we're teenagers, pretty young, right? College yeah. age, maybe like our first job going out with coworkers, you know, like, or you even mentioned in the Marine kind of environment. So it, it's something that's brought on to us when we're really young. And then we kind of accept it as a norm from there on out, right? So it's part of all of our social fabric. It's part of weddings. It's just part of socializing. And then it usually comes home too. You know, people bring it at home. They have it with dinner, whatever it is. And so it's something that we we start as a habit when we're, let's say, eighteen years old, and then we have for a very long time, and we don't really look at it, right? Unless someone has those problems that you're talking about. But something that I like to approach it with is like, well, because we do this, and it's such a regular thing, like. We might not even know as adults what it feels like to actually go alcohol free to take like a um, a break, you know, and it's only then that you realize some of those incredible benefits that they weren't necessarily showing up so much in your life before, but you had no idea because you had nothing to compare it to. Yeah, so yeah, you know, um, sometimes I love to I love to share like, you know, like uh, uh, some of the kind of medical literature is like. Even one drink will totally ruin your REM sleep that night, right? And it it really uh, messes with the neurochemicals in your brain with your dopamine levels, your GABA, your serotonin levels. And so oftentimes what I love to do is when I'm walking someone through a break from alcohol, you know, like so many things are changing, not only in their body on a physical level, uh, their neurochemical uh, levels are rebalancing, they're getting happier, like they're literally getting happier their cholesterol goes down, like just crazy things are happening. They have more energy and then they get to the end of the experiment, experience and they're like, whoa, like n- now I know what I can compare it to. I love this. And then they can decide, right? They can decide, do I want to go back or do I want to keep going? And that's totally in their court. But I think like what is the biggest disservice today is that most people don't even allow themselves or we don't even give people permission to try that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Oftentimes when I'm suggesting taking a break or something like that, someone's like, what about that birthday I have coming up? Or what about the vacation? Or what about this? It's always something stopping us. So I love to be very experimental about it, curious about it, allow people to just have the experience and then see for themselves, you know, what benefits they get. Personally, my cholesterol dropped by 51 points. And I think that's something that is often not really talked about when it comes to like alcohol and cholesterol. We think of like meat, cheese, fatty foods, and yet I'm sure it causes inflammation in the body. And my cholesterol dropped 51 points. You know, like that's incredible. How many people are looking for that right now and pills, you know, that might be able to try this alcohol free lifestyle instead?
2: Well, yeah. I remember when you said something, um, what I got from one of your interviews was that uh, you talked about you were naturally an introvert and you talked about you felt like if you had some drinks that you could get, you know, tap into more of your true self, you could like let yourself go and not be so introverted. So I I think that's what I was forgetting earlier because, you know, that's something uh, that people don't realize either is that, you know, alcohol just sometimes amplifies. So it's not even your true self or your uninhibited self. It's just like it amplifies everything about you for a lot of people, you know, which, uh, it's not always a good thing. <laughs> you know, so uh, like I think you mentioned like, you know, tapping into, you know, other sources of joy or other things that can, you know, put you in a place where you can be more comfortable in a social setting without alcohol.
1: Oh yeah, and it's a total personal growth experience, you know, like imagine someone's nervous public speaking and then every time they go public speak, they have like a shot of vodka <laughs> and then they do it, right? Are they really getting better at public speaking? Are they really surpassing their fear of it? Probably not, right? It's just this fake solution in the moment. And so that's kind of what ended up happening to me for so many years. I kept relying on alcohol. I was outsourcing really my confidence to it. And so I never was allowing myself to build those skills within, you know? And so then when I went alcohol-free – it's like, oh, now I, d- I got to do the public speech on my own, and actually practice, and actually get better at it, and actually build that confidence within myself, which is so worth it, though, because you know, at this point, you know, I don't, I don't feel that same way anymore. I feel like I can be myself, and that you know, small talk and meeting people you just met, it is kind of awkward for everyone. Like that's kind of part of being human, you know, and we can yeah. kind of lean into those feelings instead of um, shying away from them, but. I mean, how common must that be for so many people who who do start drinking to, you know, quiet either their nerves with socializing or um, step into more of that extrovert role? And I've worked with a lot of clients who then feel like, you know what, like that wasn't the real me. I was loud. I was obnoxious. I was, <laughs> I was saying things that like were not in line with my, with my integrity. Um, and so it's really cool, I think, to learn how to rebuild that confidence, but this time on your own, because no one can ever take that away from you.
2: So, so I'm going to take away from that little segment is preparation is better than liquid motivation.
1: So. There you go. That's a good <laughs> catch. <laughs> right.
0: Carolina. So you, I, I know for your book, you, you, and, and I've seen in your, uh, your podcast, you talk about the science, you know, of kind of how uh, brain chemistry, and I'm, I'm used to talking about this with my patients. Talk to us a little bit about, You know how alcohol impacts the brain because you mentioned all these things that we all kind of know that kind of you know you get your behaviors can be different but why is that happening
1: absolutely so you know i like to look at it over time because obviously alcohol is this anesthetic it slows down your brain it slows down the functioning of you know different neurons firing and it makes you more inhibited because it's shutting down the kind of decision making part of your brain the judgment center right and so it's kind of left as more of a more primitive part of your brain. But I like to look at it over the long term, you know, and I really like to, to look at some of the hormones and the neurochemicals that are affected by drinking. Um, so like deep in the, the research of this book and other um, leaders that have kind of come before me, really looking at like, what does regular drinking do to the brain, you know, and, you know, alcohol induces the release of like dopamine, GABA, like right away in this like sharp peak. Um, Which probably very similar to other drugs, you know, you have a peak, but then you have a crash, right? And so your, your brain wants another drink, so it gets another, you know, another peak. What ends up happening, though, is this peak is high, right? Like the euphoria you get from, I'm sure heroin or cocaine is kind of higher than you would get from walking in the woods, you know? But what it ends up doing over time is it actually desensitizes you. And they found in their research that some of the dopamine retractors actually um, like retract back, like you have less dopamine um, receptors, sorry. Right, receptors. And so over time, what that means is like neurologically, like a drinker finds beer tasting or wine tasting as like one of the best things to do. But then the other like beautiful, most pleasurable experiences of life kind of are numbed down a little bit, a little bit dulled down, right? And on the converse of that as well is that when we drink a depressant like alcohol, it also – our body has this counteractive system to it, so it releases stress hormones. And they found that it releases cortisol, adrenaline, and dynorphin. And dynorphin um, is this this neuropeptide, I think, or neurochemical that is very like much like the opposite of endorphins, right? So it makes you feel low. Um, and so these these stress hormones are kind of circulating in your body. You feel them at the peak about five hours after drinking, but that's usually why we wake up in the middle of the night after like a drinking episode. And they can leave you feeling then on edge the next day or even weeks afterwards, right? And they've even found that The longer you are a drinker, the more stress hormones your body is getting pumped with, right? So I think there's a reason why at 18, we could all kind of roll with it. We could all drink, we could all go out. And it does like diminish our ability to um, really bounce back from it when we get older because of all of these kind of factors. And so what it really tells me is that a, a drinker can often have like a much lower base level, right, of just general joy and just their general mental, you know. I like to think of it not as depression, but more of like apathy, dullness, malaise, boredom. And then they get these spikes from alcohol. So that feels good. But when you take a break from alcohol, we've seen that, you know, your neurochemicals start to rebalance and serotonin levels go back up, GABA levels go back up, and your receptivity to dopamine goes back up, which means that like normal things like playing with a child or having a belly laugh or eating an ice cream start to really register in the brain as much more joyful. So then those levels go up. Right. And so for me, um, I had like a surge of positive feelings when I was when I was going through this phase. I remember being like mesmerized by clouds and trees. I was I literally felt like I was falling in love. Um, And in the sober community, it's called like the pink cloud. You know, it's this this phenomenon where life just feels so amazing. And obviously it can kind of wane. You get used to it. You know, it becomes your new normal. But like that's really why I named my book Euphoric. It's like we think that the euphoria for so long has been this word associated with the you know state alcohol or drugs can induce. But what about our body's actual natural ability to create those same states, those buzzes? You know, when you just allow it to kind of detox and rebalance from those kind of chemicals you're putting in, it, it was mind blowing for me. And a lot of my clients, you know, go through the same thing. Um, just the surge of happiness. It also gives them hope then to change things in their life that they maybe didn't like, you know, whether it's their, their relationships, their careers, you know, even little things like boundaries or, you know, shifting identities. It just becomes from this place of like, if I can do this, like, you know, really go after my Achilles heel here, what else could I do, you know? And it really kind of pushes the envelope of what's possible for them.
2: So just out of curiosity, so um, after you experienced that and, you know, obviously what you're doing in your your practice, um, so do you never drink at all ever anymore or do you drink super infrequently or, you know, obviously you don't have to share if that's like a, you know, a um, private thing, but.
1: um, Oh, no, it's not private. Uh, I personally don't drink at all. And I'll I'll kind of share why I arrived at that uh, conclusion. But I think what at first when someone's just starting out, like a break is the best thing that they can um, set their mind up for and commit to because kind of just drinking less, it's great for your health. That's amazing, right? But some of these these uh, changes in the body, the brain, and really like your confidence levels, like sometimes you just need to, you know, if if you still drink on a Friday, you'll never find the new fun thing you want to do on Fridays, right? So a break is a really cool time to just you know, redevelop new habits, redevelop new passions, really kind of just explore it, and then you know, just really experiment from there. And you can kind of see. Um, sometimes when we talk about quitting forever, I like to think of it as almost like you meet a guy, and then you decide to get married the next day. Like, that's crazy, right? Nobody is going to jump on that ship. That's crazy talk. And oftentimes, people think they have to quit forever. And so what ends up happening is they don't even go on the first date, right? Right. So I just say like, let yourself go on the first date, take a break, see how it goes. And then if you like it, you don't, you still don't have to decide you want to quit forever, but it's just like dating someone. Like, let's see where this goes. Why don't we go for two months together? Why don't we go for three months together? Why don't we go for six months together? Right. And so personally, when I was going through this myself, like my mind had to evolve through that, you know, it just was getting better and better, but I wasn't saying forever yet. I was just like, why don't we just see where this goes? You know, I really am enjoying it. I already know exactly what it feels like to be a drinker. I've lived that life. you know. I've had a beer in my life thousands of times before. I know the taste of it. I know how I feel like afterwards. Like I know that story so well. I've done it hundreds of times. I don't know this story though. I don't know what's gonna happen if I keep going down this road. And that's what I'm really excited about. It's almost like seeing what I was capable of as a non-drinker was this challenge. And I was really hungry to try to go on the road less traveled at that point. And then I really thought about it. To me, I was like, well, if I went back to drinking occasionally, what what's behind that motivation? Like, what is it for me? Because by the time I took a break, you know, for as long as I had at that point, my habit was totally gone. My desires for alcohol were nearly diminished. I replaced it with like new ways to relax. You know, I had fun socializing with my friends. So I, I met my needs now in new ways. I trained myself how to do that. So I was like, so what is it really, why would I ever go back to alcohol? What is it, you know? And in that moment, I realized to me, it was only about fitting in. It was only about doing what other people are doing in it around me. And I was like, that is the stupidest reason to go back to something that literally brought me such negative turmoil in my life, you know? And I had to really ask myself, do I want to be normal in this lifetime? Is that my only goal here is to be normal and blend in and do what everyone else is doing? You know, most people are unhealthy. Most people are, you know, not satisfied with their lives or careers. Most people are not really like living these metrics of of life that you guys talk about with mastery. That's not the majority of people, right? Those are the exceptional ones. And I just decided that in that moment, you know what? I don't want to be normal. I want to be exceptional. And I know that the exceptional version of me in this lifetime is the one that continues to choose growing through this alcohol free lifestyle. So that's kind of my story. But like I say, I always talk to my clients or any anyone kind of dipping their toe in here, don't think about marriage right now. Let's just talk about the first date and see what it's like.
0: I like the experimentation model you use. That's a good motivational tool. I use, I, I counsel a lot of diabetics. So I'm always counseling about carbohydrate, sugar addiction, things like that. Because quite frankly, eating sugar is the primary cause of type two diabetes. But what's <clears throat> what's interesting is that if you can phrase it in a way that, like, hey, you know, you're just going to try this for a little while. How about we go on a low carb diet? How about we try some good fats? Let's see what happens with your diet, you know, this type of thing. And it doesn't make them feel like they have to decide right there that this is the rest of their life. They'll never taste chocolate cake again or something, right? You know, just, I don't, I, I think that's a, I, 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 you know, caught on to what you were saying because that's a tool I use with my diabetics. The other thing I wanted to go back to, you mentioned, I really love your bit on the neurotransmitters. You're spot on there. The GABA. GABA is the primary neurotransmitter in the brain that causes sedation. So often... Alcohol triggers that GABA response. That's why people kind of get mellow and sleepy. Some, some people get that way. They fall into sleep easily, but it sure as heck disrupts sleep break cycles. Like you mentioned, the REM sleep is destroyed. Uh, anybody that has a smartwatch, by the way, that really a high-end smartwatch that tracks sleep well knows this. REM sleep goes to zero going yeah, you gonna, have a uh,
2: crappy score, right? Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to tell her that, uh, but she was uh, doing such a great job, you know, telling her story. I didn't want to interrupt. but I was like, hey, me and the doctor are like, Geeks with yeah, our smart watches. Yeah, we watches. got our smart and so, watches, and so that's thing. You know, as still an you know an occasional drinker, uh, I do know. You know, I run marathons, and I'm you know I'm still active duty, so I do notice that. Uh, you know, exactly what you're saying, and I, and I would encourage anybody that's listening that drinks to do the experiment of like you know don't yeah, drink for at for least sure. like, even start with like four or five days. And look at your sleep cycles versus like, you know, the days that, you know, Friday nights when you have a drink. But but I digress. But it, it is, you know, great if people use these uh, little devices uh, to monitor things like that.
0: You know, in the dopamine part as well, what I've read about dopamine, it, it, exactly like you said, except for one of the things I've, I've read is that when you drink or you do something, something is I like I race cars. And I know for a fact I race cars because I get a dopamine hit from it. Okay, I know that. So I'm going in knowing that I'm doing that. Everything is a little less dull after that. I mean, you know, it's, it's like, it's just really exciting, but dopamine actually doesn't return back to normal. It goes lower than it was before. And I think you were alluding to that is that like life is just more dull and you need something to get you back. For me, like I said, it's racing cars. It's doing something that kind of makes me excited, but at the same time, chemically if somebody's doing that over and over, whether it's sugar, whether it's some other substance, because there's a lot of addictions, you know, uh, I would imagine that, you know, most drugs work this way, pornography, anything you can think of that has a dopamine hit to it. Then you return to a lower level. It's the whole science behind addictions and everything. So that's pretty powerful. And that's why it's, I think it's important. What you're saying is like, get away from it just as an experiment for a while, get away from it and see what happens. Most people, when you start sleeping better, you start having more energy when you have more energy, you know the light bulb comes on and you start doing things that are functional.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And you know like it's so interesting, but I always thought like a drink made me happy. It was the thing I looked forward to, right and and I really didn't realize with the way my pattern, you know, I was that weekend kind of warrior, I couldn't wait on a Tuesday like I couldn't wait till the weekend you know to to let loose and relax. And I think like with the dopamine response too, is that like, there are so many great ways that we can elicit and play with our neurotransmitters, you know, and there's so many healthy ways that we can do it and ways that really light us up in these passions, you know, but there's these other ways that really don't work out for our benefit over time. And it's like, it's, it's not like taking away someone's treat. You know, I, I, I love alcohol-free drinks. I love helping women find what really relaxes them, what works better. It's about really actually, you know, asking yourself what you deserve, what what real self-care means looks like, what relaxing looks like and finding something that works a lot better, frankly, right, than alcohol, which is just going to do that quick, quick spike. And then you'll go down, you know, Um, it's just can be a really cool journey to actually discover. You know, I like to say what really makes you happy, not the fake happy from alcohol, which is just this like, you know. Chemical response, like what really organically brings you joy in this world, and what a cool experiment to go discover that. It, you know, it could be really eye opening. For example, personally, when I was going through my journey, I just I tried a lot of new things. I went to you know like a paddleboarding class. I went to a writer's workshop. I did Zumba. I went to the museum. I went to the symphony. All these kinds of things that like I, I hardly ever thought of, or or they were kind of those like bucket list someday things that I, I never had the energy to do. And all of a sudden you know when you you take away not only the way that you're habitualized your pastime like you, you get hungry to to try new things to do new things so I think we can like use that for our benefit too like the race car driving thing I mean what a cool way to to kind of um, hijack that dopamine response but something that's obviously you know fun fulfilling and um not destructive usually, at the end of the day. <laughs>
0: yeah. And you usually don't have a hangover after it. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. That's There's just, no yeah, negative side it.
1: effects unless, well, unless you crash yeah. or something, but <laughs> unless you hit
0: something solid. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny. Like, uh, it, I think as our world has gotten more easy and more comfortable, people feel like they're missing something because like humans, uh, you know, you look at our hunter gatherer past and, you know, trying to find food and all these things. It's like, we need to have, uh, you know, stressors and conflict and problems to overcome. Right. And so I think for a lot of people, when you're in this like super comfortable climate controlled Uber eats world, <laughs> you know, pe- people, uh, you know, alcohol is an easy thing to, you know, uh, take care of a lot of that temporarily. But I think when, like you were saying, I mean, I know for me, exercise is a huge, um, you know, stressor slash stress reliever, you know, it's like sometimes if I'm going to do it, I know I'm going to do a really hard workout, you know, you're regretting it a little bit, but then when you get through it, you know, and your heart rate gets up real high, and then you kind of come down off of it, I think you get a lot of the positive hormone, um, you know, benefits that you can get temporarily from alcohol, but they last longer, and then you can look forward to it with positive benefits. And so, you know, that's a uh, I think the unfortunate thing about living in a world where we don't have the same kinds of conflict, you know, where we're like, you know, built to solve problems both mentally and physically. And then we, you know, even though we might think we're solving a problem, it's a lot different than maybe we were designed you know, physically and mentally to overcome. So, you know, you're always going to need to have a uh, good stress in your life, whether it be, you know, Uh, at work, you know, uh, a complicated read or exercising. So I think people, like you were saying, can replace what they think they're getting from alcohol with more positive things because you have time to explore, you know, that, uh, you know, other part of yourself. So I think that's a, you know, a cool journey you went on, uh, you know, to share with everybody listening.
1: Yeah. You know, you bring up a really good point about kind of like the, our world is so easy today, you know, compared to the way humans evolved, like it is so easy. Uh, Obviously, people still have problems, but most people's lives aren't in danger every day. And, and the easy things have come now to become our habits, you know, and like packs of Twizzlers didn't exist, you know, 500 years ago, we had to eat fruit, right? Or like alcohol wasn't as, as conveniently available. And we didn't have so much disposable income to just have it as a daily thing anymore. But it is that's what it is it's easy it's like the easiest thing you could do to change your state in that moment but it's often those easy things like sugar alcohol tv social media that don't work in the long run right they change yeah. your state momentarily but they don't actually help you find that deeper fulfillment contentment doing something hard doing something that you're proud of you know like we need that kind of stuff in our in our lives too
2: yeah. and i think
1: that's where you know that kind of question of you know, what do I want to do with my life really got really answered that first year I went alcohol free because what I was doing was not fulfilling, but I I didn't really have the courage to face it before then. I just kind of kept going through the motions, you know, and I I was like awakened for the first time. Like I actually Mm -hmm. have a choice here, you know, I can Mm -hmm. start I used to call them someday goals, really, like someday I'll write a book, someday I will launch a business. But those weren't things I had the the motivation or the courage to work on, you know, that day. Like I say, it's so much easier to open a bottle of wine than write the next great American novel, right? Right. But I had those dreams. I always had those dreams. And so I felt like I was just letting myself down all the time by basically snoozing on my life. And it was that awakening I needed to be like, hey, you know, you're not going to, build, you know, Rome tomorrow, but what if you just laid a brick down? What if you just got started? And everything I've done since then has been one little baby step after the next baby step after the next baby step. You know, I'm here now, you know, having a book released into the world with Harper Collins, like that's only been my biggest dream since I was six, you know, ever since I could read and write, like that's been something I wanted to do. And I would tell you, Wholeheartedly, it would have been impossible for me to do that when I was a drinker. I had the worst writer's block. I never wrote. You know, I just I didn't do the things I wanted to do. Basically, the harder things, but the things that give you so much more uh, fulfillment afterwards.
0: Well, you're reclaiming time, and you're you're. Uh, there's so many hours that are taken when you're in a passive activity that ultimately, you know, we've we've laid out the case that it sort of drains the brain uh, of the vital. You know, creative juices, and so then you have a recovery period. So you know you can knock out six, eight hours of window of a time in a, in a given, uh, given a weekend, if you will, trying to deal with or recover from the good time you had. So it's that's uh, that's a pretty powerful message. Listen, wh- where is the line? Because you're, you're you're coaching people, and and you're, but you're. All, it sounds like you're. You're mostly approaching the people that are sort of maybe problematic casual drinking, as I mentioned, but I know that you're going to get sketchy stories sometimes. You're going to get people that are, have crossed into Never, never land on alcohol. With alcohol, I see it pro- probably the people that I run into the most are probably the people that really stepped off the wagon somewhere, and they're struggling badly. What are your when you run across stuff like that? When you say, okay, I want you to do all these things, I want you to turn your life around, but I think you've got a really serious problem here. What what do you do with those folks? What kind of advice? Because I'm sure you must run across people like that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just as a, a medical professional yourself too, like someone who's very physically addicted to alcohol should not just take a break on their right. own, right? right? Like That is actually right. dangerous. So there yeah. is a line, it's true. Um, I, I have found that like, that is just like a less, a, a more minority of a people like we have talked about, you know, like a lot of, even people who drink like a bottle or two of wine a day, like even to me, that sounds like so much, like I, I don't know where I would put it. I would be so, my head would be totally, you know, gone after that. But I know people who have who had that kind of pattern and then were able to just um, to just to just easily stop, you know, so you never know. Like there's not really a hard and fast rule, but obviously a physical addiction does need, you know, medical care and medical um, treatment type of things. And that's what's so cool is that like there's no competition necessarily to say like, this is the only way, right? Like there's, there's models that work for people in different stages and things like AA, things like rehab, things like the more traditional programs we have, they're saving lives. Like that's amazing that they're there for them. Um, and my mission was to kind of come in at like a much earlier stage or, you know, even just a different kind of life path and just be like, Hey, how come we're not talking about it here? Um, So I do believe that like, obviously, if you do find yourself in that category, I think once you start drinking, not just every day, actually, a lot of adults do drink every day, but really skewing the time of when you're drinking, like it's starting during the day in the morning kind of stuff like that's your your body's literally living on alcohol, like that's already for sure, you know, in that category, Um, definitely get that treatment you need see a doctor no matter what, obviously, you know, if you want to make sure you're on top of your health, I'm not a doctor. Most people aren't doctors themselves. They should be getting the regular kind of care from their, um, healthcare practitioner. Um, but there's also a lot of really cool stuff that I think you can supplement. So a lot of the, um, like work I do in my book or other books that I'm happy to recommend, isn't just, uh, like how you would, you know, approach this problem in like a treatment center. It's, it's really the mindset work behind alcohol because the thing is no matter who you are if you are a drinker you have come to believe that alcohol brings you some kind of benefits some kind of comfort you know it brings you something that you want otherwise you wouldn't drink it you know and i think really diving deep into that mindset and really kind of uncovering those subconscious beliefs that are really driving the desire cuz consciously someone doesn't want to drink yet somehow it's happening somehow you know 5pm rolls around and they want to what is underneath that desire? And that's kind of this mindset process that I work on with my clients. And um, like I say, it's it's in my book, it's in a few other books I'd, I'd love to recommend, where you're really looking up uh, the beliefs underneath alcohol. And that way, it's kind of like any process that where you have a self-limiting belief, you have a belief that maybe isn't tested completely. It's, it's kind of like this confirmation bias loop, right? That alcohol relaxes me. Well, scientifically, we just talked about all those stress hormones, you know, is that really, you know, true? I mean, I remember being more on edge a few hours later, like, you know, like even more wired, like, how is, how is it really relaxing you? But or like, alcohol helps me sleep. Uh, you know, 20% of Americans misguidedly use alcohol to fall asleep yeah. and you're shaking your head like, oh my gosh, yeah. like that's the worst yeah. disruptor to their sleep. Yeah, it's the worst it's thing terrible. they could do. So sometimes our beliefs are literally about like the properties of alcohol itself that aren't true and we can kind of debunk them but some are deeper stories you know if if i believe alcohol makes me confident or if i believe alcohol makes me more interesting does that mean that i believe conversely i am not interesting enough i am not like likable like these these really negative self-limiting beliefs that i have And that's the thing: is that like the relationship with alcohol can be driven by you know the the qualities of the substance itself. It can really be driven by the social aspect and the socializing, but it can also be driven by these deeper self-limiting beliefs we have about ourselves and believing that somehow alcohol, you know, creates allows us to achieve a state that we somehow believe we're deficit in. We don't believe we can be that on our own. We can't be merry on our own. We can't be you know whatever it is, and that's kind of this deeper. I like think I think it's really fun mindset work, but it really is uh, a lot more psychological. It's a lot more personal. It's a lot more unique, but you can have massive breakthroughs there.
2: Well, I'm it, actually yeah. glad
0: you pulled that in because I was wanting to pull that thread. I, I one of my side hustles I do is I I coach soccer, and typically I've worked on the women's side. I work with maybe 12 to 18 year old, you know, young women uh, on in soccer and competitive soccer, and confidence, personal confidence in this, they they it's lacking in so many, it's not just women, it's not just, but it seems more predominant, you know, in, in women that they just have this self-confidence, self-image thing. And I'm glad you started to mention that because sometimes I think people jump into the, I guess I've got to do this because I've got to drink alcohol to fit in because of, of, of self-image. And I think it's important that people learn to stand out. What you're doing is you're telling people, stand out, be different. Don't be average. And if that means somebody might not like you or you're not as cool or whatever, let that crap go. Because, and it, but, that, but I realize when I say that and I tell these girls this, you know, when they, I, I've counseled some that are in trouble. They got in trouble at school or they're drinking the parents are coming to me. They're asking me, please talk to her. She's, we can't tell her anything. She won't listen. You know, I'm like, I kind of go to her and I say, look, you know, you're going down the wrong road. You don't have to listen, but they, they, everybody's doing it. It's not a big deal. It is a big deal. Be different be, don't be average. Like you well, said, yeah. I love what you said. Don't be average. It's a confidence issue, but there, it's like some people, like they're afraid to be different. And, and like, that's, I don't know where that comes from. I, I maybe my parents raised me to be a little different or, you know, whatever, but I know I have three daughters and I, I, I tell them all the time and they don't, you don't have to do anything anybody else tells you to do. You know, don't, you don't have to jump onto alcohol because somebody else is doing it. Uh, I like that you you really hit that well. I like that that confidence that aspect you mentioned. Well,
2: and I think the the good thing about our conversation tonight is that I think alcohol can be a metaphor for any crutch, right? I mean, that people like Dr. Curtis talks about. You know, people have a, an addiction to fast food, or you know, if they have a rough day, they they feel like they need need to eat half a chocolate cake because that's going to make everything better. So I think that's probably the more you know, even more powerful uh, thing, you know. Um, from this conversation. I mean, alcohol is obviously a common problem in our country and many others, but I think it's just that thing, you know, whatever thing you think you need um, that really can be satisfied probably with a positive habit, you know, when you identify, um, you know, what you're really lacking, you know, like you mentioned confidence earlier, it's like, you know, you think you need to have a drink to have, Confidence, or you think you need to uh, have a drink when you have a bad day, you know, uh, to deal with stress. When in actuality, you know, you can go for a workout, you can, you know, have a conversation with a friend, you know, you can meditate, you can do all these things that uh, you you don't have time for if you're going to fast food or going to alcohol, you know. So I think that's probably the the bigger message is that whether whether like if you don't have a problem with alcohol. Then you know that's fine, but you know I think all of us uh, re- you know refer too much to a crutch we have uh, when in actuality you're not getting at the root cause of, of why you're having that behavior.
1: You know, as humans, I don't think we like to feel uncomfortable emotions, right? Like that's, that's really it. And so we distract ourselves, we numb ourselves, you know, we do whatever it is to escape these kind of uncomfortable feelings. They could be very uncomfortable, like sadness or loneliness, or they could just be boredom or stress or frustration, right? But the thing is, is that like, it's almost like a hamster wheel. Like I, you know, you could have someone who's so stressed from their job and comes home and has wine every night and then numbs the fact that they're stressed, and then they wake up and do it over again. And they could literally be on that hamster wheel for years, right? Whereas you just kind of want to shake them and be like, well, why, what is so stressful about your job? How can we make some shifts there? These emotions are coming up for a reason. Do you need more boundaries? Do you want to change positions? Do you want, you know, a different line of work? Do you want more help around the house? Maybe you come home and you have to do everything. You know, your partner isn't very helpful. There's so many, like our uncomfortable emotions, I believe, come up in order for us to either make shifts in our lives or to heal them and process them and to uncover those underlying root causes and then, you know, really um, heal them, right? Instead of trying to just always push them down, let's let them come up and process them and then let them float away, you know, every time that happens. So I get frustrated, I get stressed, I get angry, I get all those kinds of things, but I found these new outlets to actually feel that feeling You know, and instead of trying to like push it down, um, I either make the change where I need to in my life to you know prevent that that same thing coming up over and over again, or I learn to like like heal it and process it, and and what is it saying underneath, um, you know, about myself. That's why I think it's so cool the work I do with the women I've I've worked with is they've made radical changes in their lives and I never want to intimidate someone like you know you don't have to quit your job no you don't have to like leave your marriage or something but how cool that like you do allow your emotions to actually teach you what you want in this one lifetime that you have and you realize you know what I'd actually be so much happier trying this you know or or maybe launching my own company or maybe going into a different field or whatever it is you know I've have I have a woman that um I was I was working and she just w- hit one year alcohol free she quit her corporate job and moved her entire family to France to live there for a year and just have the adventure of their lifetime and she's planning to write a book about the experience you know those are the kinds of things that people make movies around because most people don't do them and I'm just so proud of her because it was this under un, un, un like latent desire she's always had you know but she didn't just didn't have the kind of the confidence the courage and the real belief in herself that it was possible to do and I think going alcohol free taught her all of those things that she needed to then make that much bigger leap, if that makes sense. You know, even the courage of, like you said, the courage of being different, you know, ordering a mocktail takes courage, T- telling your friends takes courage. And that courage is probably not just for that one exercise itself. It's probably building your courage for something else in your life, you know, and how cool to like, really think of it that way.
0: That's a smart, powerful story. Um, Carolina, I want you to share, I, I think you're, A wealth of knowledge in this, in this topic. And I love your energy and the positive, you know, um, message that you're putting out. Can you talk about, I know you get this book upcoming. I want to make sure that everyone listening to this um, knows how to A, contact you to maybe for coaching if need be, and then all the resources, because you've got considerable resources for people. So share with us what you've got going there.
1: So yeah, I'd love to talk about my book. It's called Euphoric Ditch Alcohol and Gain a Happier, More Confident You. And it really is, I think, the first book written for that casual drinker, maybe with a, pro- with a little problematic sprinkled in there. And it's actually found in the health, healthy living section of a bookstore. And you know that's remarkable to me because every other book about alcohol is found in the addiction section under psychology, right? So this is a book for healthy living. And that's really where I wanted to position myself. So the first two parts really show a reader why they should take a break from alcohol, like what they're going to experience um, from the health benefits, the mental benefits, this like renowned sense of gratitude and connection in their life, just rediscovering these like real juicy gifts of life. And then the last part gives them actually an eight-week framework of doing it, you know, like how to deal with cravings, how to deal with socializing, how to deal with these mindset um, these these tools to really shift your mindset so that you never feel deprived or like you're missing out or like you're a social outcast, but literally losing your desires for alcohol as you go. So it's not a willpower game. It's not just like, I'm just trying to change this habit, but you're really uncovering the root of the desire and then annihilating it right there. So that is what my book is. And you can get it right now uh, for pre-order at euphoricbook.com. And when people go to euphoricbook.com, they'll also get a ton of bonuses because you know, this is a hard endeavor. Most people don't do it around you, you know? So I have bonuses to make it as easy as possible. Like for example, I have, um, a recipe book for mocktails because I think you shouldn't just take out the drink and then replace it with tap water. Like you'll feel deprived real fast, you know, make, find a new drink you love. Um, you could get creative in the kitchen. There's so many different options these days. There's so many health tonics out there. Like there's zillions of drinks out there that have no alcohol in them. And finding a new drink that really like helps you still feel like you're pampering yourself at the end of a long day can be awesome. You know they even make really cool craft non alcoholic beers. Like they sell them at or they pass them out in marathons. It just makes so much more sense. But <laughs> there there's so much like catching up in that kind of a space and other just drinks that have nothing to do with like alcohol or anything like that. Um, so in addition to the recipe book, they can get like a 50 things to do instead of drinking checklist to start really. Like, you know, boredom is often the number one reason we drink at home. So it's like, well, what else can we do? How can we get creative um, from things to do at home to things to do, you know, outside of the house? And I also offer a 31-day guide. So for anyone who's embarking on Sober October right now or going into, you know, any dry month coming up, um, it would be like a guide framework to help see them through, you know, anyway. Uh, So I offer a lot of resources. I have a podcast myself um, called Euphoric the Podcast. And, you know, if anyone feels really, um, really this piqued their interest and their passions, you know, I'd love to speak to you. So on my website, euphoricaf.com, there is an ability to book a call with me or check out some of my other offerings if this sounds like something you'd be interested in. Um, And I think it's really important to Get the information and the tools, you know, because I think sometimes we do ourselves a disservice when we're trying to change a habit and we just like we just like cold turkey it and we willpower it and we're not really understanding what's what's underneath the habit. Why am I doing this? You know, really learning about some of the functions of it. For example, I personally right now I eat sugar, but I'm pretty uh, moderate about it, right? So like I I, I, I you know, um, but if I were to go through a, a challenge where I don't eat sugar for a month, like. I wouldn't just do it by myself. Like that seems like a recipe for disaster, you know? Right. I would learn about it. I would find a guide. I'd find a program. I'd find some kind of resource to help me through, you know. And I think that's when uh, real breakthroughs can happen because you're you're not just denying something you've told yourself is a treat. You're actually learning more about yourself through the process because of that, you know, with a with a good guide. So, you know, there's so many books out there. My book is uh, coming out January fourth and the pre-order is available with all those bonuses, but um like lean in, dig in, because I did this. When I told you my story, I did my break from uh, alcohol with dry January. The first time I didn't look at anything, right. I just didn't drink for four weeks. And to be honest, even though I loved the experience, I had the same level of desire for alcohol at the end of it as I did at the beginning. You know, I didn't change my mindset. And so the second time around, that's when I really dig deep. That's when I really started to understand, you know. Myself, my relationship with alcohol, and really some amazing mindset strategies, and just the tips and tactics we need. Like one of the number one things people say is like, "Well, what do I do when I go out?" You know, and sometimes you just need someone who's already been there to to help you through that, or to give you some guidance and things to say, some different confidence shifts about like a situation like that, so that you can feel um, more empowered to do it on your own
2: yeah i mean great uh, stuff yeah yeah, i was gonna say uh even though it becomes a meme and it you know it's kind of cheesy on social media in some cases where people have other challenges where they're like do 50 squats a day for you know 30 days um i think you know i I usually give up i'm catholic and i gave up beer for lent yeah well i I still do most years uh last year i didn't dark days the pandemic is around uh Lent uh, had, had a rough time where I thought I was going to be physically addicted to alcohol, but, uh, but overcame it. Uh, but, but I will say that, you know, whatever you need is the motivation, you know, whether it's 40 days for Lent, sober October, dry January. Um, it may seem cheesy as a social media thing or a meme, but uh, for a lot of people like you, I mean, you do it. And it's a discovery period, you know, whether it's like a, some physical challenge or, You know, giving up alcohol. So there's a reason why things become a cliche or a meme. It's probably because a lot of people did it and got some benefits uh, out of it and shared it. You know, so I think sometimes, you know what I'm saying? Sometimes people see or hear things or it becomes a meme and they're like, oh, that's cheesy. That's not going to work. But, you know, there's a reason why things go viral. I mean, sometimes not always a good thing. But, um, you know, if you can have whatever that, you know, impetus is for you to, you know, make a change, it's a positive thing. And it's funny, I, I joke with my wife about, uh, you know, it's like, what is it, the six degrees of Kevin Bacon that people you know, joke about. It's like a, when it comes to the podcast world, I always feel like people I like and listen to, whether it's an author or a podcaster, they are. And you probably see this, you know, being a podcaster and probably listening to podcasts, like people you like and enjoy always end up being on each other's podcast. You know, it's like, I always see that. And so I feel like guests we've had in the past and some guests we already have scheduled are going to really resonate with you. So, you know, we'll try to, you know, connect people to you uh, and vice versa uh, because I think that, you know, people uh, in the same vein uh, always find each other. So, um, you know, I appreciate everything you shared and, you know, I know I, I got a lot of stuff from it and I, hope our listeners and and some future guests uh, link up with you and and reach out to you. So thanks for everything you shared.
1: Well, thank you so much. You're a great host. It's such a great time to be on your show today.
0: Great. Carolina, thank you for coming on. We will close for now, but we're going to make sure that we put links in the show notes um, for your book, for your podcast. And uh, certainly if you're interested, I would encourage you to take a look. Smart lady. She knows what she's talking about here and uh, makes, uh, you know, be something that, you know, hey, try it, experiment, you know, see, see if you feel better, see if you have better energy. And uh, we really thank you for coming on. We'll close out.
1: Thank you.